our last night in a traditional service until August. That's crazy, right? Crazy. So we have a whole month where we're going to be, you guys listening? You guys make sure that you're listening because we are going to be down in the lower field all summer long. How many people have been to a summer games before? They are a blast. You guys are going to love it. Make sure that you come. And if you don't see us, we're probably down in the field. So don't like leave. Just go down into the field. We'll be right there. And uh, we're actually really excited for the summer uh, because of the f- Ooh. because of the fact that we have our own ver- uh, our very own. There we go. Summer intern who is going to be bringing each and every devotional throughout July. And the reason why I'm, I'm introducing him now is because he's going to bring the word and he's going to preach to you guys. How many people are excited to hear from somebody other than me? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So if you would, Garrett is our summer intern. He goes to Taylor University. I'll let him kind of introduce himself a little bit um, and let him do that so that I'm not taking up his time. But if you guys would, just give a warm welcome to Mr. Garrett Kaiser. He's going to be bringing the word for you guys. All right. Hello, everyone. So like Josh was saying, I am Garrett. I go to Taylor University, and I will be with you all summer, whether you like it or not. So let's buckle in. Um, I'm bringing the word for tonight, just like Josh said, but before we jump into things, I just want to open in a word of prayer. So, God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you so much for the opportunity that you have given me to just bring your word before all of these students. Uh, I pray that your spirit would be here among us, moving, softening our hearts, uh, and letting our ears be open to what you have for us tonight, God. Uh, I just pray that you would let me uh, convey what you want to say and nothing else. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've just got to say that Alex stole a ton of what I was going to close my sermon with, so I might have to improvise some things at the end. Anyway, uh, let's just jump right in and say, about two months ago, I was having a mental breakdown on a couch at two in the morning. Normal college life, I assure you. And it's just... Not a fun time. If you have ever had a mental breakdown in the middle of the night, you would know it's not something you recommend to other people on an everyday basis. At this point in time, of course, like things with the coronavirus were just kicking up. Uh, They were getting ready to send all of us home from school. And everyone was really nervous and really tense, including me. I was very tense. And I wasn't really expecting anything good to be happening that night, but... It was way worse than I was expecting, let me tell you. Because actually I wasn't awake up until three in the morning on that couch. I was asleep before then. It was great. And then I was woken up by a phone call. If you've ever gotten a phone call in the middle of the night, it's never good, never. And this was no exception to that either. And that was one of the worst nights of my life. Because on that night I thought maybe one or two of my friends were going to end up dead. The phone call that I got at first was a friend of mine who was feeling really depressed, uh, was struggling with self-harm, suicidal thoughts, and that was just one out of four. Uh, And it went on for hours. And I just remember thinking really clearly, like, 
this sucks. <laughs> There's no real thing that you can do to respond to that except think, this sucks. Um, and I tried to be a good listener, I tried to be a good friend, but then eventually one thing happened that just really pierced me. One of my friends said, why is God doing this? Where is God? Why is this happening to me? And I didn't have an answer. And as the night just kept going on and on, and I didn't see anything changing, and I didn't see any hope, I started to feel angry. And I started to ask myself the same question. God, where are you? God, why are you doing this? These are your children. You're supposed to be taking care of them. And I didn't hear anything. Now, I don't think that I'm alone in questioning God. I really don't. And I think that this time that we're living in with the coronavirus is a time when a lot of us have been asking that question, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? But I think we're also very quick to start thinking or having people say to us things like, his ways are not our ways. Uh, God has a plan in the midst of this. And that's true. Those are good things to say, but that doesn't really answer the question, does it? If you have a family member who got coronavirus, where's God? And there's way more that's happening besides coronavirus, but I think that's really fitting because this is the first sermon that we are having since everything's opened. But I want to draw back to that question of why is this happening, God, and our responses to that. Because I think we have this tendency in the church to like to clean up our act a lot, to sit in these rows and smile and act like nothing's wrong when everything is wrong. And we can do something about that, actually. Because as crazy as it sounds, Jesus himself didn't live life like that. Jesus didn't live a life that said everything is going to be clean and good all the time. No, Jesus actually said my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? And so, this is, this is in fact the New Testament Jesus, who was God, which is a little bit confusing, but he felt like his father had abandoned him. What? If you're not confused by that, then I don't think you really understand how weighty that is, that this man was perfect, and he was questioning why God left him. And I'm not perfect, and... So I can somewhat understand why this might happen to me, but him, of everyone, really? No. You see, the thing is, this wasn't actually even unexpected for Jesus. He lived his whole life, did his whole ministry, knowing that at some point he would say those words, knowing that he would ask God why he left him. And he still did it without hesitation actually, with a lot of hesitation, but anyway, our verse for tonight tells us what's happening here. It comes from Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus is on the cross, and for a little bit of context, you've got to understand that Jesus was, in fact, a perfectly innocent man, and he lived his life knowing that he was the Son of God, knowing that he was doing all of these great things, and that people would want him dead for it. So, we get this really harsh picture of a man who is good, who we would probably want to be friends with, except when all of this happens, all of his friends leave him. He's stripped basically naked, 
whipped to bits, hung up on a cross, and left there to die. And God let this happen. And Jesus wanted God to let this happen. So the verse is from Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 46. And it says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus did this because he loved you. And there's a short video that's going to be playing, and that's going to explain a little bit of what's happening while Jesus is on the cross. But just keep in mind that we don't ask to feel like God has abandoned us. None of us seek that out. Jesus did that for you. Play the video. That was part of it. So uh, a little bit more heavy than probably the message you were expecting tonight. But I think that's okay. Oh, they're just getting there. It is. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This cry is a fulfillment of Psalm 22.1, one of the many parallels between the psalm and the specific events of the crucifixion. It is difficult to understand in what sense Jesus was forsaken by God. It is certain that God approved his work. It is certain that Jesus was innocent. He had done nothing to forfeit the favor of God. As God's own son, holy, harmless, undefiled, and obedient, God still loved him. In none of these senses could God have forsaken him. The prophet Isaiah says this about the Messiah. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He was made a sin offering, and he died in our place on our account, that he might bring us near to God. It was this, doubtless, that intensified his sufferings, and part of why Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the manifestation of God's hatred of sin in some unexplained way that Jesus experienced in that terrible hour. The suffering he endured was due to us, and it is that suffering by which we can be saved from eternal death. In those awful moments, as evil men were allowed to do whatever they wanted to Jesus, our Lord expressed his feelings of abandonment. God placed the sins of the world on his Son, and Jesus, for a time, felt the desolation of being unconscious of his Father's presence. It was at that time that he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is another possible reason for Jesus to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
It could be that Jesus' intent in quoting Psalm 22.1 was to point his hearers to that psalm. When they read Psalm 22, they would no doubt see the many fulfilled prophecies included in that song of David. Even while experiencing the agony of the cross, Jesus was teaching the crowds and proving yet again that he was the Messiah who fulfilled the scriptures. Got questions? The Bible has answers, and we'll help you find them. All right. So that video does a pretty good job of describing just a couple of the reasons why that was happening to Jesus on the cross. And first of all, it was because he was feeling the weight of all of our sin on him. Now, in the biblical definition, sin isn't just doing something wrong or something that makes you feel guilty. No, sin actually means to be separated from God. And so even though Jesus never did anything in his life that made him deserving of being separate from God, because we have sinned, and he came to take that sin upon himself, he had felt like God had abandoned him. And this is exactly like what it was describing in Psalm 22, because this is the story about an innocent man, the Messiah, this chosen one of God, who was promised to be stricken down. And that's not usually what we think of when we think of some mighty hero, but that's the hero that the Bible tells us about. So we have this Jesus, who is perfectly God, 100% God, but also 100% human. And this is because he, as God, wanted to come into our humanity. He wanted to be there so that he could take this burden that we can never do. Like, sometimes I struggle to get out of bed in the morning, let alone feel like God hates me. So, what on earth? That's how much our Savior loves us. But we need to understand that when Jesus was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was actually because he loved God. And that's a really difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around, I think. Because we have been raised in this culture that tells us, don't ask questions about God. We don't like to have doubts about God. We like it to be nice and neat. Jesus didn't live that. Because Jesus tells us that the greatest commandments are to love God with everything that we have, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so if we do believe that he was sinless and that he was perfect, then he did that like, amazingly throughout his entire life, even when he was hanging on the cross. So how do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of a savior who's saying that he feels like he's forsaken by God while also saying that he loves God? And the answer is actually pretty simple. That's exactly the point. Jesus wants us to be able to enter into that same cry, to be able to say freely, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's a way that we can give our doubt to God. We voice our pain because it's part of our story. We voice those experiences to God because it's giving him a part of ourselves. We can't worship God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength if we're using some of our strength to hide parts of ourselves from him. It's no use, first of all, because he knows everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. But second of all, because he wants that. Because he looks at you after you've done that terrible thing, and he says, I want that. Because I can use that experience, if you give it to me, to make us grow even closer together. Because in those moments when you question and say, God, you feel so far away, that's actually him inviting you to get even closer, even if it doesn't feel like it. 
And I have even better news than that, because even though, you know, those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It sounds pretty clear that, you know, God left Jesus on the cross. That's actually not quite what it's talking about. There's better news here. When we enter into that story, when we enter into the life of Jesus and make that same cry, it's because we know something else. When you look back into Psalm 22, verse 1, that's the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus is quoting on the cross, right? That's what he said. Uh, that's what the video said. But actually, when you look in the Gospel of Matthew, in that chapter 27, it's full of references just plucked out of there. It talks about Jesus' possessions being divided. It talks about how Jesus would be abandoned, left with wicked people on all of his sides. Like, all of this was being written into his story before Jesus was ever born, thousands of years. Like, this was the Psalm of King David. And when you look at it, it does seem like it's that story filled with pain. You do see this intense betrayal, that sense of, like, okay, I am a righteous person, but it does feel like God's forsaken me. And that is a heavy burden to bear. And it talks about being oppressed by the wicked. It talks about how all of the forces of evil in the world conspire against Jesus. He fulfills this psalm in everything. And it is weighty because it's not just physical pain, it's humiliation. It's the powers of Satan and hell coming up against him. And this is what he did willingly because it doesn't end on that note. When you get to Psalm chapter 22, uh, verses 22 through 24, which should be on the screen at some point, uh, it switches its tone. Something changes. And it says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, you all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And if you catch that, you can see that this psalm tells us God never left Jesus on the cross. And Jesus knew it. And yet, at the same time, he still said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that feeling, that doubt, that temptation, which scripture tells us that Jesus had to full measure but never gave into, that was powerful. But he was more powerful. God was with him when all of the sin of the world was on him. When looking at this offering and seeing the weight of all of the things we have done wrong on one single person, and he still said, I want that. I want him. And now because of that, when God looks at us, when we're in the name of Christ, he sees his son. He sees the one he loves. And he sees our fallenness and our brokenness, not as things that can come between us, but as opportunities to grow even closer. All we have to do is enter into that lament, not withhold it from him, because, like Alex was saying, like, he is still here. He is everywhere. He's not just the end waiting at the destination. He is the way. He's the one behind us, ready to catch us if we fall. He stooped lower than any human being ever could so that he has the chance to lift us up. And do you know what? 
it came true. That song came true. He knew it was going to come true. Because in Matthew chapter 28, it talks about how Jesus, after being dead, was raised to life again. And it proved that God loved him. It proved that God never left him, but that was willing to raise him right back up again. And he says, because I've done that, you can do that too. So in Matthew chapter 28, when all of this craziness is happening, when the stone has been rolled away, and the disciples come to this mountain because they want to meet Jesus there, they go to worship him because what else can you do? But it says that some of them doubted. After all of that, some of them still doubted. And God didn't hold that against them either. Because in those moments, we get what is called the Great Commission. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for feeling those complicated emotions inside, those feelings of, can this be real? Because just a couple days ago, it seemed like God abandoned us. Because it sounded like Jesus said God abandoned him. No. What Jesus does instead is so much better. Because he gives this great commission. And he says, go out into all of the nations of the world and tell them to be baptized into my life in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He tells them to teach the people to obey everything that he had commanded them in the first place. But then he finishes with something truly special. Because he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus was never left by God on the cross. And he's promising more than that even now. God the Father is still looking upon us with approval because of what Christ has done. But Christ himself says, I will be with you wherever you go. You go in my name, there I'll be, right with you. That's what was won in those moments when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't because God forsook, had forsaken him. It was because he knew that in those moments was when God could draw closest to us. Because even now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven and is saying to him, day and night, these are my people who have called upon my name. These are the ones I love. And the Father has accepted that sacrifice. And the Father has said, we can do the same thing that Jesus did on the cross. We can say that. Even if we don't go through anything as terribly crazy as he went through, we still go through hardship, and we still have the chance to grow closer to him through it. And because of that, because of the resurrection, because of the life breathed out into us by the Holy Spirit of God, we know that there is more than the suffering. Now, Jesus was in the tomb for three days. This was after he'd already prayed that prayer. The deliverance didn't come right away. He had to wait. He had to suffer even longer on the cross before he died after he prayed that prayer. And this isn't something that had just happened spontaneously. No, he'd been anxious about it, sweating blood from the night before, and it tells us about it in Matthew 26. And there again, we run into this phrase that's really popular, not my will, but yours be done. That's something that Jesus says in the midst of all of this stress and anxiety. But it didn't resolve right there. It took time. It took struggling. Struggling that's probably greater than anything that we can imagine. And he still says, you are welcome in the midst of it. You are loved in the midst of it. 
You don't have to be ashamed of your hardship. You can share it with me freely. I will be with you always to the end of the age. What a change from my God, my God, have you forsaken me? What a change. And so, as we're about to enter into this time of prayer, I just have one request for you. And I hope it's something that you take more than just tonight. But it's don't be filtered before God. Worship him with everything, with those bad experiences, with those times when you feel guilty about sin, when you feel like there is a situation in your life that you can't control. You have the freedom to say, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It doesn't mean that God loves you any less. It means this is an opportunity for you to get even closer. Because he wants that. He'll be with us always through the end of the age. Remember that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this night. And for this assurance that you are everywhere, that you are in the middle of our struggles, that you've gone even lower than us to pluck us out of those moments when we feel weak, when we feel like we can't escape. You're there already. You're beside us on the path. You're the one who's sending us out and pushing us forward. But you don't hold it against us when we trip and fall. It's all been paid for, and we praise you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for your spirit that gives us life, that's with us right now, that's saying words that we can't understand that are unutterable, but are still very present. When we can't hear you, Lord, you are still speaking. And when all we can do is cry out, we know that you are listening and that there is victory just waiting, even if we have no idea what it is. Thank you again, and I pray that we go out into this world that is filled in this time of despair, and that we would go and fulfill the Great Commission, and that we would still raise up this despair to you, not push it to the side, and trust that these are times when you want to go closer to us. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus.